You're listening to the Fire in a Hole podcast with Richard and Jason, available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and a cast. If you want to keep the show free and help us keep the lights on, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. If you have ideas for the show, we'd like to come on the show, uh, don't hesitate to drop us a line at Podcast at gmail.com. That's Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Top of the morning to you, Fire and Hole fans. This is Jason. Uh, writing solo this week as uh, Richard, my partner in crime, is uh, coming back uh, from vacation uh, and uh, has left me in charge. <laughs> and as, as you would predict, I basically screwed it up. Uh, well, uh, maybe not completely, but I obviously uh, have not been able to keep <laughs> the boat afloat, at least uh, not in terms of quality, structure, and all of that. But I did try to play to my strengths, which is to have fun with it and to kind of do some off-the-cuff uh, uh, type of recordings. Uh, so you may have already heard the uh, one-shot I did with um, uh, JDC, uh, who's running his conceptual heist um, project right now. So this time I caught up to uh, Eric Jean, um, a return guest and one of my oldest friends. We actually went out on St. Paddy's Day uh, in the attempt to, you know, get in a couple of drinks and relax and talk um, and kind of avoid the craziness that is St. Paddy's Day. And just like, you know, by the time you go out, um, pretty much everyone's trashed and just giving themselves full license to act um, inappropriately. And so luckily we were able to find uh, uh, refuge uh, in this great little bar called Barfly um, that on um, on Saint Laurent uh, that has like all kinds of uh, sort of open mics and bluegrass nights and sort of those quite little old school bars uh, the kind of which there aren't too many left so Rich uh, not Richard see see this is how confused I am um, Eric and I sat down and we shot the shit we talked a little bit and then we went to grab a bite to eat and we just recorded ourselves talking um, so. Um, disclaimer or warning, the first 30 minutes of this recording um, may be considered definitely brutal in terms of uh, listening just by virtue of the background noise, but it somehow fit our conversation. So if you can stand it, that's the first 30 minutes. Uh, for those of you that can't, uh, I would skip maybe um, the first half uh, up to our restaurant conversation where we're much more audible, a lot less uh, rock and roll going on in the background, and um, well, in, in terms of what we talk about, um, we're going to have to see, but we kind of, we go all over the place. We talk about movies, we talk about music, and uh, it's just two friends hanging out. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, this is, uh, as I said, an anomaly episode uh, of Fire in a Hole, so enjoy. There's a river, not unlike this one, near Vilnius, where my grandfather taught me to fish. And the sea will grant each man new hope. Sleep brings dreams. Costing you anything, right? <laughs> you get what you pay for. Exactly. So here's the situation, just to like lay it down for the the listeners or the listener. Uh, 
my uh, my partner in crime is still in Portugal. <laughs> Laughing at us and our three feet of snow. Is he ever laughing at us? And I'm, la I'm like, sort of, he, if ever you had a friend that that was okay, right? Like, those friends are like, oh, yeah. fuck you, dude. Yeah, How yeah. dare you send me pictures of your beach vacation while I'm freezing my ass on it? Richard is the guy that gets away with that. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. he's such a good fucking dude yeah. that I literally, I, uh, on the day of the storm, uh, which was like two days ago, I, I was like, I walked to work and I literally looked like, I was like white. I was wearing all black, but somehow I was all white. And I sent them a picture and I'm like, dude, it's Snowmageddon over here. Oh man. What's your status? And he sends me back, like I swear to God, I was like, are these actual pictures? Because they look like postcards. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, Portugal's got those... Um like rocky cave beaches and shit. Like right, it's right. really crazy. I'm literally going to pull up the pictures that he sent me. Like I sent him picture of like three employees like marching against the wind, <laughs> getting destroyed. And a picture of myself like looking like oh, a, yeah. I'm oh, a, it's a white background, which yeah. is not actually a white screen, it's just, you know, blowing snow. Yeah, I look like an extra from uh, the thing basically, right? And he's like, oh, is that what's going on? Here's what I'm doing. <laughs> Motherfucker. He's like, he's like, I love you, brother, but like, this is kind of what I'm doing right now. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. Nice rocky beaches, couple of beers, Yeah. sunset. The beer, the, the, the sunlight shining through the beer bottle. Yeah. Right? Uh, on, the, on a pristine deck with a pristine, probably like 37 degrees. You're right. Richard is one of the few people who gets away with this. That's right. Like anyone else, they, they get a punch in the they face. Get, they get blocked. Just like, I never want to hear from you. Again. Exactly. <laughs> when they get back, you're like, they're like, hey, dude. They're like, nice tan, asshole. <laughs> yeah. What was that about? What was that about? I remember when I worked back in the, back in the old telemarketing days. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you ever met this guy. Do you remember Paul? Paul Goring? I'm not sure. Anyway, this fucking funny dude, but... He was the type of guy that, this is like early cell phone technology, right? So sending people like audio recordings was a big deal. And he would, uh, he literally like went to the Caribbean or something in the dead of winter. And he sent me audio files of the ocean. <laughs> He's like, hey dude. <laughs> like, like that kind of shit, right? It probably cost him like $150 in yeah. roaming fees. <laughs> but that's how much of an asshole he was. <laughs> or that's how badly he needed to let me know that he was having a, a gay old time. And, yeah. uh, but you know, whatever, man. I'm, I'm, I could not be happier for Richard. Yeah, uh, man. And all this preamble to say that uh, basically we were, despite my best efforts, we were missing one episode. And so that's what I'm doing right now with you. Hey. Hey, oh. So, uh, welcome back to the show, Mr. Eric Jean, my always dependable uh, uh, wingman. Well, we were having beer anyways. So. Exactly. <laughs> and despite the ambient noise and the fact that this episode may not be usable, we're doing this anyway. Yeah. So, how you doing, man? Talk to I'm me. I'm all right, man. Yeah? I'm all right. Talk to me about the, the music thing, because you've been exploring the... Yeah, so I'm, I'm gaining levels of bard, as I said before, oh, yeah. learning to play guitar in a structured and directed way rather than... I pick it up for you know a few minutes every day and play the same three licks over and over yeah. again until I get fed up of listening to myself. Yeah, but no, but I remember like a couple, like maybe something like a year ago. Yeah. Has it been a year? Maybe even longer. Maybe a little bit longer, a year and a half maybe. You you started hitting the, the fucking guitar like hardcore. 
Yeah, I, well, I kind of, I kind of hit like a, a a plateau. Like in the very beginning, it was fairly easy to get motivated because you you had the impression of progressing really fast, right? Like, and not in a technical like a, or a theoretical sense. Like, I, I still know very little about like music theory and stuff, although I am learning. But you know, just being able to make a couple of chords, string them together fast enough to play the skeleton of a song. You're like, it would take you three months, but by the end of it, you're like, all right, I can play like two dozen different chord shapes and I can, you know, stack them fast enough in order to play a, a, a sloppy rendition of like Bon Jovi's Wanted Dead or Alive or whatever, right? right, and like, right, right. But it's exciting because every day you'd sit down and you'd work on it and then you'd feel like you're adding things that you could do. Right. But then at some point, you know, I just kind of hit like a, just kind of hit like a wall where, you know, you, you I pick it up every day, and but you're just kind of like things are getting harder. The, the progress is not quite as fast, or you are forcing yourself to learn things without understanding the theory that goes behind. And then when you understand the theory, you realize you actually don't have to learn these things individually. You can just kind of like learn it and fit the pieces together and go like, oh, okay, this is how it works. So yeah, I I kind of like fallen into and out of like being super excited about it. But yeah, in the past couple months. I've uh, started lessons with this guy, uh, Robert, the super chill dude. From uh, Alabama, I think you were telling me? Yeah, he's originally from Alabama. Um, I uh, recommend, his name's uh, Robert Johnson. Uh, I think his website's helloguitar.com, something like that. Anyways, if you live in Montreal, totally worth checking him out. He's a super chill dude, super nice, um, and uh, he's patient enough to explain things like cycles of fifth and inverted chords and whatever, like well, the music theory stuff. That's really interesting. That you I'm know, uh, my, my experience with like the many attempts that I took at, at learning guitar and I think there's a lot of us out there that, that, that tried to learn guitar at some point either because they were like wow women really flip out for guitar or they just really love the song and they're like shit I gotta figure out how to do this fucking track on a guitar um, I've never heard anyone talk about guitar the way that you have in terms of the learning experience because your average your, your like standard learning experience tends to be like Hey, I learned Smells Like a Teen Spirit today. Yeah. I think I'd be able to play this song by Garbage next, <laughs> ironically. Um, oh, good, yes, let's turn off the music. <laughs> but, um, oh, wait, for anyone listening, we're actually at a bar called Barfly. Barfly, because we're at St. Patty's Day. Yeah, we're trying to avoid giant crowds. That's right, this is the one place that we weren't, it wasn't kind of like, like tip to the brim with assholes and our beer is not green that's true and it's made in Quebec it's not Irish exactly and we're having a good time we're at the bar and uh, maybe someone will want to listen to this I don't know anyway like I said the guitar I, I, I am fascinated when you talk about guitar because I always like to hear your sort of analytical approach. I've never heard anyone. I know I, I always make jokes about how you're a system and bin <laughs> administrator kind of mentality. But yeah, you're, you're very technical with your approach, whereas most people that learn are kind of just like, I want to know how to play that Jack Johnson yeah. song or whatever. Well, I mean, that's how it starts. That's how it started. But I'm at the point where I kind of realized, like, I need to know the nuts and bolts about how this stuff works. Yeah. And, I, and even though I knew that, like, okay, I should be memorizing the fretboard or, you know, the, the, the resources to learn on my own were out there. Just, like, the motivation was the motivation was fairly easy if you're like, I want to learn to play Smells Like Teen Spirit. You download a tab. You practice it for two weeks, memorize the lyrics, and, you know, you can play it. 
but you haven't actually learned anything, right? Like your understanding of music of the guitar hasn't actually advanced. Right. Right? right. And you I just reached that point. Those buttons kind of thing. Yeah, and I kind of reached the point where I'm like, okay, I can pick up your average open chord tab version of any you know, popular song, spend a little time and learn to play it, you know, okay. And I was like, it's just not good enough anymore. Like, I want to know how this shit's put together. When they, I, mean, I mean, you've always liked music, but like, it's funny. We've known each other for almost 20 years. Yeah. Um, but I never really knew what your musical tastes were beyond like the odd song that you do. Like, we bonded over certain things like ridiculous gangster rap. Yeah. Like the 90s DMX stuff yeah. that we, were, we still love till this day. Yeah. But um, I guess my question is like, um, what, what what awakened in you like the need to play guitar? Honestly, I, I've wanted to play guitar forever and I don't think I ever was... I never thought that I could afford to get one. Uh -huh. I always felt like, even though realistically when I think about it in hindsight, it's a stupid thought to have. But I always felt like I can't afford to buy one. Right. And then a couple of years ago, my brother's like, I don't know what to get you for Christmas. I'm like, I want a guitar. And he's like... I'm gonna make it happen. And so he talked to my mom and like he talked to my, my wife and everybody threw in a bit of cash and they got me this like you know, basic uh, Yamaha, like, I mean, it's totally fine, right? Yeah, it's more than yeah, enough. Yeah, it's to totally fine, especially Usually, especially most, as a beginner, right? Most people's first guitars are like, it's a Stampleton. <laughs> it's, a, it's the Stampleton Special yeah. Edition. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. It's the guitar that the, 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 the douchebag- Simon and Morton or whatever, right? Like it's just- like, Yeah, it's, a, it's the yeah, one yeah. that the douchebag at the music store is uh, his manager kind of forces him yeah. to keep selling. I mean, it did it did come in a box, but you know, <laughs> whatever. Who gives a shit? No, but the, the point it is, has is strings. That he got me the guitar, yeah. and and I remember saying, and I I don't normally say these things because I always feel like I let myself down with them, but that I was like, if I get one, I promise you I will be playing it every day. And when yeah. I got it, I mean, every day maybe not, but let's say no, easily five out of seven days I play. You, you have uh, you have uh, had an incredible amount of like you have advanced in a ways that most people don't generally yeah. advance when they do stuff of this type. And uh, I'm, I'm really impressed impressed with your your progress. But I guess what is it about the guitar that like what's the sweet spot for you? What is it that thing that you're like I want to get to that level? What are you reaching for? Yeah. I don't know. It's a funny question because even when I started these lessons, the first question that uh, Robert, my teacher, asked me is he's like, you know, send over maybe a couple of songs that you would like to, to learn. And I was just like, I agonized over the choice. I made lists and lists of like, what do I like? And I'm yeah. like, all right, like I've always been a big Smiths fan, so I like Johnny Marr. But Johnny Marr plays mostly electric, uh, and he plays this... Uh, uh, I think it's Bender Jaguar with, uh, uh, and he does a lot of whammy bar stuff. And I'm like, hey, I don't know that I want to get into that right away. Um, and so I was like, I kind of want to do some the acoustic stuff. And uh, I don't know. I guess I, I like a lot of the Clapton blues stuff, um, but I also kind of just like songs that are easy to sing along to. Like, although I wouldn't mind being able to play this. This is a the, fucking righteous song yeah. to play, even though. Fuck, fuck this band. <laughs> this is the one of the few songs where there's actually some balls in it. Yeah. Because like the majority of the, the discography uh, is like disco with guitars. Yeah. Although I do like Detroit Rock City as well. But uh, yeah, this this one gets like the Guitar Hero pass, right? 
But, I mean, oh wait, this is Detroit Rock City, isn't it? I think it is. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, it's another one I'm thinking about. When you picked up guitar, was it always with the intention of performing? Or was it more of a, the intention of being able to sit under a tree and cash out tunes? I think the original idea is I wanted to be a guitar douchebag. I literally wanted to be the guy at the party with the backwards hat. Even the no, no. But like you know, the slightly long, the slight, the hair slightly too long. All right, so patch. Yeah, he's a little quiet, and people don't really know why he sort of hangs around. But then the guitar comes around, and all of a sudden he's like, "Oh, this little something I've been working on," and he just like, you know, like blows everybody away with the performance, and then just like hands the guitar to the next guy and just reaches for another beer, right? Like, and gets laid. But I guess. But I just, I just always like that I've always liked that um, that uh, like guitar party vibe yeah, yeah, yeah. like like I've always liked that that vibe. is the guy that is the fucking guy that you have, gets invited to all the camping yeah exactly right? like the campfire performer that's is, the guy is how I like, gotta do it that's, hey, that's what I wanted to be able to do getting a little bit boring hey did you bring your guitar Gene yes as a matter of fact <laughs> I brought seven yeah exactly and I'm just gonna do some songs for you it's fucking awesome yeah. yeah, that's great, man. Well, I'm really glad that you pursued it. Yeah, the campfire thing was the original thing, but and also I, I find that I don't I don't aim far enough with my ambition with it. That like being able to play like I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of like uh, like speed metal or like playing fast as a virtuoso technique. Like right. it doesn't it doesn't excite me. The gymnastics. But but I didn't even let it enter my mind as something I could even potentially one day do. And now I've been thinking increasingly that I'm like like I asked Robert to, to teach me Crossroads by uh, Cream. And it basically a lot of it's just basic blues stuff, but then there's all the lead stuff that like Clapton is doing, like, like he's just, I'm like, I want to be able to do that. I want to, fuck with I that. Want to be able to do that. All right, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take a break, just because uh, there's a lot of check. music going up. <laughs> Any minute now, there's someone gonna walk. A one-man band is gonna walk in here and start. So uh, let's pick this up in a little while, where we're grabbing food or something. Peace. All right. <laughs> we lied. We are still at the bar. <laughs> We've stopped counting the amount of beers we've had. That's correct. Although, fire in the hole. Fire in the hole. <laughs> Thank you for the beer. Cheers, sir. Cheers, motherfucker. That's so, why I keep getting invited back. So you're talking about punk music. Yeah, but actually, I was gonna say that the um, it's always weird to me to talk about like guitar and types of music that I like because it seems like almost everybody that I know who has been playing guitar for a long time, that like have been really be sort of passionate about it, they always name the same kind of heroes. They're all into the Satrianis, the the Malmsteins, the, the uh, uh, Eddie Van Halens. Like, like, yeah, there are certain, it's like that particular model is really exciting to a lot of like guitarists that I know, but it doesn't really get me. Like I love ACDC, which many people would consider to be really fucking stupid, simple music. But no. like I love the shit out of it. I disagree, man. Yeah, no, but I mean like and I like like I'm more uh, I'm sort of straddled between like some sort of like rock, pop, folk, like but I'm not I'm not super big into although you know I, I really would love to be able to play some mean fucking Metallica or whatever. Oh, for but sure, like man. Well, but you know me, you know what a metalhead I am. Yeah. And uh, just just actually a couple of days ago, this band that I've loved for easily a decade. Uh, I'm not going to say that they fell off because they didn't fall off, but they went into a musical direction that uh, a lot of bands have gone into simply by virtue of wanting to eat. 
<laughs> that um, is a powerful motivator. Yeah, wanting to eat is a powerful motivator. I don't know how these band guys do it for like 20 years. Yeah. But recently they released an album, The Darkest Hour, which of course is a Transformers what's reference. The, what's the name of the band again? Darkest Hour. That's the band? Yes. Oh. So these guys, um, they're like a post-hardcore kind of metal fusion where they always added in the solo, they always provide the solos, they always had these like, these big moments, uh, and then like this this kind of galloping, sort of thrash, uh, hardcore mix that's that was really, really big like a, a good decade ago. Yeah. So they released an album called uh, Godless Prophets and the Migrant Flora. Oh yeah, yeah, you sent that my way. I yeah. may have clicked on a few tracks. Yeah, it sounds like the type of, like the, the, the title and the, the, the album art doesn't doesn't like announce it as anything special, but this is their master of puppets, right? And this is what's interesting with or this Or justice band. for all, whatever or, your opinion may be. Correct, correct. <laughs> I mean, I, Speaking oh, yes. of which, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, Darkest Hour, about like 15 years ago, released these two albums back to back, or I should say, two albums that they released in sequence were both albums of the year. Yeah. Where they're like, you put it in and you forget. You do not skip tracks. You do not fucking like, oh well, number seven isn't that great. It's a journey from beginning to end. It fades in on a guitar solo, and it fades out on this like top of the mountain. <laughs> this is this is kind of like the perfect song. So, yeah. uh, the Undoing Ruin, and I forget the name of the other album. Yeah. And then after that, they won a series of like, I'm not gonna say they were bad albums, but they just did. They they lack. I mean, like, how many bands can say they had one of those albums that you do not skip tracks on, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. They delivered two back-to-back with, that had everybody on their ass. And then they kind of put out a two or three other ones that were okay. But something happened. They had a meeting. They sat down and they said, guys, let's go back to that moment. You know, we're, we're almost unfair in our the way in which we treat some of our like favorite bands, right? Right, right, right. Because, yeah, we're assholes. Right, because bands. we all love... There are certain masterpiece songs or albums of bands that we always want to go back to that like that masterpiece moment. moment, right? That's a selfish moment yeah. for us. And, yeah. and then you're like, oh, well, that latest album was like, it was no, like you said, Master Puppets or whatever. But you're like, yeah, but to even have one of those yeah. as a band is like, like your Michael Jackson's Thriller, your Master Puppets, your, uh, what's a. Uh, uh, like well, uh, the Guns N' Roses, what? Like your user illusion or whatever. Yeah, that's your know. that's your appetite for destruction. The appetite for destruction. That's yeah. your NWA, like straight out of Compton. Exactly right. Your like, chronic. Yeah, like exactly. Like you're fortunate enough. Yeah. To kind of have, well, let alone one song, one whole album like that. Yeah. That like, you know, like that's why like uh, the the Smiths that I mentioned before, kind of a weird thing, because they only had like three or four albums. The they Smiths? were around for four years, uh-huh. and then they like split up. Before and like every album was like a solid hit, and then boom. Before like they could make you know what people would consider, let's say, good but not amazing albums, they kind of went their separate ways. So. Yeah, no man. I mean, uh, literally, like I think as any band, whether you are you you hit the arenas or not, whether you make it as big or not, if you have this one album, at least one, where like everyone's like that album, man. I don't know what happened to that band, but that one fucking album. You know, it's the same as with uh, directors. You know, with 
you bang out that one movie. Like, Brian Singer is an asshole. <laughs> All right? His fucking X-Men movies, you could credit them as much as you want with kind of laying the groundwork for uh, superhero movies you can take your girlfriend to see and, and like, like making the, the medium legitimate. But his body of work since the X-Men movies has been... As I, I would be understating if I said it was questionable. <laughs> but because he made unusual suspects, the guy to me is kind of... You mean the usual suspect? Uh, sorry, I said unusual suspects. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's the beer's talking. Like the slightly yeah. less known beef. <laughs> oh yeah, no one, no one knows about the sequel. <laughs> the unusual yeah. No, so the usual suspects to me is like one of those movies that if, if it's on, you fucking watch it. It's great. Right? If it's on, you watch it because it's the it's the tits. Got to be one of my top three uh, ACDC songs. It's a great fucking track. So this band, Darkest Hour, they had these two fucking unbelievable albums. Then they went on a bit of a tear. None of the other albums are are bad, but they're not memorable. Yeah. And then out of the gate, they uh, crowdsourced their latest album, and it is. It is like, like, like. I don't know what it is, but it's like you, like you cannot touch that fucking dial. It's an album that you feel guilty listening to on your way to work. Which which albums? Because like, I mean, I'm like an album that strikes like that fits that for me, which is a little bit more of uh, my musical taste. Yeah. Is uh, Fleetwood Mac's Rumors. Uh -huh. Rumors is like, like what were, what were the big hits on that one? I think, if I'm not mistaken, Gypsy's on it, Rhiannon's on it, Dream's on it, uh, I think Landslide may be on it. Anyways, it's like any half of the recognizable Fleetwood Mac songs that you know are on that album, basically. But what, what, apart from it being like this landmark album, what is it about that album that, that, that makes it one of those like must-haves for you? You know what? A couple of things. First of all, it, it doesn't sound like something else. It's like, all right, this is... This is Fleetwood Mac. It sounds like that. Right. The there's even though the songs are all different, they kind of sort of feel connected, or there's like like thematically. Yeah. The thing just works, and like you said, you don't skip songs. You start it, you play the whole thing, you get to the end, and you want to start it over again, right? Yeah. Like, you, you don't fuck with the playlist. Yeah. yeah. No, I think I think uh, I mean at the same time, I don't want to be one of those old timers types that are like, well, the music in my day. But I do think that. One thing our kids will never know is that experience of like sitting down with an album. I mean, it may come back one day as a novelty, right? They're like, oh, now that everything's available to us uh, for $10 a month on a Spotify, I think at some point there, if, if it's not already happening, there'll be like a fetish or like a like a weird like hipsterish thing where like sitting down with an album. But really, I just that idea of sitting down with an album, right? That, that, or cassette tape. But the flip side is albums are not conceived that way anymore, right? Right, right, right. Because they're kind of enjoyed piecemeal or you could go in and buy individual songs off an album. Right. They don't tend to be constructed in that way. Or at least not, I should say, like popular music because, you know, I don't want to generalize. But. Well, I should say what's interesting about this Darkest Hour album is that the track listing doesn't sit right with me. 
The songs are out of fucking control. Like melt the your order face. Work. The order, I do disagree with it. Like you know you love an album and an album has touched your soul. Yeah. When you're like. I wish I'd been there to be able to make my recommendations at the recording <laughs> as to what order it's in. It's a very strange album because it comes out of the gate with a, like a pounder, like a, a punch you in the face song where you're like, okay, well, I've heard this before from Dr. Sauer. Quite good. Oh, good. He's not doing clean vocals anymore. Okay. Well, cool. All right. This is back in the old. This feels like a nod to the old. And as of track two, it gets into Metallica territory. What I mean by that is like exploring these various landscapes musically and somewhere around a half the, halfway through the album there's a song called The Widower which is a pure like no vocals uh, standing on the like if this song came out in the 90s or 80s it's the like it's an Orion of like yeah, or whatever it's, it's like, the yeah. helicopter shot of the guitarist on the top of a mountain right it starts out like that and it's one of those like multiple like double guitar, absolutely like tearjerker songs. And almost the album starts over in the middle. And right now, neither of us are giving a fuck because of how great this moment is. Right? <laughs> it's almost like the the music that's being played in this bar is kind of like accompanying our conversation. Yeah, I don't, I, know, I don't know what it is, man, about those albums. Or like Back in Black's another, like, to stick with the ACDC. Oh my God. Like it's a, it's, I mean, you can like or dislike that music, but if you like that band and you like that music, it's like the best continuous representation of it. Yeah, I feel like, yeah. <laughs> See, it's one of those things where it's like, it's not about what chords you played, what the arrangement was, what the what the what the development was. It's like these are these there are these songs that immediately connect with the crowd, right? Where you can play the opening chords. ACDC is not a musical masterpiece, it's performance masterpiece right. to me, right? You're like, they're like, we're gonna have a party and a good time and the, and the booze and the drugs and the rock and roll. Yeah, but like, <laughs> like yeah. take almost any ACDC song, AC song, and it's, it's just sort of almost amazing how you just start playing a song and you get this nod going, and everybody is on board, right? Yeah. We could have a bunch of rap fans in there, and it was just like they would not be able to resist the the, the, the the communal fucking like celebration, and it just bare bones like this is what we're doing. Get get with the program, you know. So did Fleetwood I, Mac, what else? Well, the ACDC. Did I tell you the ACDC uh, story about how they came up with high voltage? So Angus Young. In a bit, an old video, he's holding an acoustic guitar, and he's talking about he's talking about how they came up with high voltage, and they're like, "Well, our name's ACDC. Shouldn't we have a song that uses the chords A, C, and D?" It was the first day of shooting on the Three Amigos, and I was walking to the set, you know, the whole full outfit, and from behind me, I heard Catherine Hepburn <laughs> say, "Where's my bicycle?" <laughs> And, well, you do it better. Do what no, you did. It, I said, where the hell? I wish I had my bicycle. We'd go and pick blueberries. Such a beautiful day. <laughs> See, but, and I, but, and I, I, turned, I turned and I thought, oh, I got three months to go with this guy. <laughs> We're now in a kind of deli, I guess you would call it. If, uh, deli slash diner. Yeah. We're yeah. a deli slash diner. 
a proud Quebec. I'm about to order coffee with my meal. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> I will. We. Salut. Moi ça va être un ginger ale. Un café. Et quelque chose avec du smoke meat. Peut-être déjà décidé? C'est pas mal de tout avec du smoke meat. Là. Ouais, ça dépend de ce que tu as le goût de manger. Là. Comment tu t'appelles? Vicky. Salut Vicky. Salut. Euh, ça va être, euh, je vais te prendre genre, ce genre de type d'assiette-là. I want to tell, you know, as I get older... Il y a du café qui se fait en ce moment, ça bon. sera pas long. Excellent. Merci. As I get older, it really becomes about the story I'd rather believe. You know what? I support this. The narrative I, I want versus the truth. The truth loses every time. It just does because it's just written on my forehead. Coffee. This man will drink. This coffee man looks meal. like the man who would have coffee with eggs and bacon in the morning, with with his spaghetti in the mean in the yeah. daytime in the mid midday, and with his steak at night. Yeah. Not at home though. It's funny. I don't drink that much coffee at home. Yeah. No. It's 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 one of those things where it's like it's a statement. Yes, I, I, I know that's how you interpret it. I just want a coffee. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just... Uh, but once again, like I said, truth versus narrative. Losing its... It, truth is losing every year that I grow older. I don't... I mean, you know what? If uh, politicians can get away with lying about things, why can't we lie to ourselves? Alternative facts? Why can't... As yeah, it were? You know what? Why can't we just lie to ourselves? She just knew I wanted coffee. That's correct. It makes for a better story. What What harm does that do, really? None. It does none. Um, sort of like, I like drinking soda out of a can, even though that's not very hygienic, fire in a hole, even though this is a ginger ale. And I just feel like when they give you a straw with, with, with pop, it, you feel like a little kid. That's true. And even, I, even though I know that drinking directly out of a can, like somebody put their balls on that can is kind of the scenario that some people bring up. Uh, like, the Mythbusters did something about it and detected that there was very little... Very little rat feces on your can. Is it? Uh, that, yeah. It is a myth, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I was telling you the Louis C.K. story That's true. from yeah. the Mark Marin podcast. Okay, so he's a relatively like young comedian. He's going from gig to gig. He's got. He just finished a night. He's got seventeen hundred dollars in his. He's got pocket. like seventeen hundred dollars in his pocket, and he walks past a place that, uh, like a pawn shop, and there's there's a trumpet or some shit. <laughs> some some brass instrument. Right. And in a very Louis C.K. kind of way, he's like, I'm going to buy that trumpet. <laughs> so he buys the trumpet or the trombone, and I don't remember specifically. And he starts walking around with this trumpet. But he's still unsatisfied. He still feels like there's something missing. So he goes into a peep show, right? And he just, like, sits down, and he pulls some Kleenex, and he, there's some porn playing. And he decides to jerk off, basically. And he gets carried away. <laughs> And he basically nails the trumpet case, right? As he's like, as he climaxes, he fucking splooches all over the. But it's it's the fact in itself is a funny story. But it's the, what he says next that's amazing. The next things out of his mouth are as follows: He's like, and that's when I realized I should have just come to the peep show <laughs> and forgot. Forget I about the trumpet. I should have come here first. Because I really don't want this trumpet anymore. <laughs> that, that kind of like, it's like such a, it's such a, like a truism or, or it's such a... The ultimate buyer's remorse. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a profound, like, like, like observation on humanity. Where, where we, it explains so many things about like these, from impulse buys to like, 
sometimes you just do things because being a human and being being lacking satisfaction you need this like big move yeah like you feel like that you need to make this big dramatic move yeah yeah you have that moment of like you know fuck it i deserve it or, yeah you know, like, i'm gonna good. learn the trumpet <laughs> no no i'm not gonna learn the trumpet i'm just gonna buy one i'm just gonna buy one i have no interest I in did. learning it <laughs> i just want to own one i don't know man there's something about that story that really stuck with me and I feel like a lot of the, the, the things that in my life where I've drawn understandings of life, yeah, maybe fallacies, maybe complete misunderstandings. Whatever. Suitable fictions. Yeah. Like, for once, one thing, one thing we've always bonded over was uh, the Three Amigos. Ah, uh, yes. A movie that I think even if you went to scholars, film scholars, they would, they would identify it as a seminal comedic work of its time, a movie that did this and this much and that much business at the box yeah. office and that featured three of possibly the, the top comedians of its time well certainly they were the top at that time like they were at the top of their game and their yeah. fame and yeah. Martin Short was kind of like really like the hot young blood yeah. guy on the scene Steve Martin was totally well established yeah uh, and Chevy Chase was uh, he was kind well of the 80s yeah like his Fletch Stuff. Yeah, kind of, and then all the family vacation stuff, like all that yeah. shit. Yeah. yeah, it was it was literally like a like a like a, a super group, yeah. right? Because Steve Martin by this point had made his bones mostly in the '70s stand-up scene. Yeah, he's the original guy with like the fake arrow through the head thing, and he he blazed a trail in the '70s as this oddity. In the '80s, he was still very relevant, but he was clearly like a guy that was born in the '70s. Chevy Chase was all about SNL oh, he '80s. He was all '80s. Yeah, and Martin Short, I think, was kind of, kind like, of like maybe mid late '80s. Like he was coming up. Yeah, like he was sort of earmarked as the next, the next guy, the next guy. And to a certain degree, he he fulfilled that to a certain point, but also kind of veered yeah. off into this weird place he with this Jimmy Jimmy Glick stuff. He, that he proved to us all that he was. That idiots are right. funny, right? But uh, so, what is it about the Three Amigos? Uh, so we, there's these movies that you and I keep coming back to, right? Yeah. Like The Hunt for the Red the October, Red October, which we are like ten minutes away from turning into a secret language. Yeah, <laughs> we're always ten minutes away from turning it into a secret. We're language. always quoting that fucking movie, you know, right? So what is it about Three Amigos for you? What is it for you that that? Um, that's tough. I, I think the uh, the the high-minded sort of literary critic, master's degree guy in me wants to say that it appreciates the kind of pastiche, the the kind of quasi adaptation of this like twenties cinema through like an eighties comedy lens, right? Because the, the whole premise of it is that it's taking place in the twenties and that you know the film industry is really new, and then these three morons go to some town thinking they're going to shoot a film. And that you know they wind up there, and Hijinks, they serious. never really realize that the whole fucking thing is not fake, yeah. and that you know. Yeah, but in, but in the sense, flip side yeah. is the whole actual ter terrible evil guy matches every sort of movie convention, but then has little things that kind of undercut it, like all of his like you know uh, uh, all of his hired muscle, his boys buy him a sweater for his birthday, right? <laughs> right. His, his name really means like the beautiful or the great or whatever. Yeah, I like, think it means the gorgeous yeah. or something. And, and he considers himself this like sophisticated, educated guy yeah. that he's like, he knows better, right? Like he's... It was almost like uh, a very biting, satirical, edgy 80s Broadway show, like Broadway level thing, but, but set in, a, in an age of dumb. 
in an age of dirty, dumb, wild west. Like it was kind of a brilliant move. Whereas like normally you'd want to convey those kinds of messages in a science fiction movie. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was talking about very current things, but set in this campy uh, uh, place where things didn't really matter as but such. You know what, that's I think the thing, it, it basically framed itself as a 1920s movie that became suddenly self-aware and self, uh, like, uh, ironic, right? right? And and that, like, that's, whatever of its timeness doesn't really, it doesn't really excite me, but that, that idea of, like, let's make this film that's set in the 20s, but that clearly has the movie sensibilities of the 80s looking back over the 20s, and right. kind of, like, poking fun and poking holes at some of the stuff. The, the brilliance of that film. But also homage, right? Like, there's a certain that's level of respect yeah. that goes with it. I think that's what struck me the most about The Three Amigos, is, is that it's kind of like a, a, a celebration, an, um, an absolute homage to an era that wasn't even, like, in, in the 80s. Yeah. Like, the 1920s silent era. No. Or 1910, whatever silent era film was not a thing uh, in the yes. 80s, but it pays homage to like. Let's go down. I got a separate plate for my <laughs> marinated pepper. I am a happy man. Uh, je pense que c'est beau. C'est génial, merci beaucoup. Um, yeah, we're about to pick out, guys. So I'm, we're anyone that has like what's that called? A misophonia. You know that 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 condition where you you don't like to hear people chew. Oh, you can't chew? Stand people chew. Yeah. We apologize in advance. Uh, trigger warning. <laughs> so, Let's see how crunchy this pickle is. Not bad. So it had this interesting sort of like historical homage mm -hmm. where like anyone watching this movie might have seen um, a silent film but not actually really like, like it had really like a respect. Oh yeah. A look back at the, at the beginning of cinema. Yeah. where it was just like this uh, uh, cinema of attraction where it was this technology that bewildered people it was brought to churches some would play a piano along to it and well, you had a bunch of, bunch of footage about shit that you didn't even care about because you were so amazed by the fact that it was being projected yeah, and they were you know turning them out one after the other these right. kind of basically these these serial clones of one another right like that's the whole thing the Ned Needlander stuff about like he's like I've seen all of your films, right? Like, and it's like you know every film is going to be exactly the same, and he does probably the exact same trick shot in it. And like, that was such a great the German um, device from, uh, in that movie. The whole like the uh, calling back to movies that didn't exist. Like, ah, it's like when Johnny, little Johnny, get your gun or whatever. Remember when we did this thing? Like, all of their ref they're basically yeah, amigos, 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 right? Yeah, there's three idiots that have been completely um, sort of um, inoculate, not inoculate, quarantined from the real world. Oh, yeah. They've lived on a film set their whole lives. Yeah. Everything that they know is a reference to a shoot that they did. And then they're thrust in this, like, I mean, basically, this is what Tropic Thunder went for again, right? It was three guys who live in the pretend world, and suddenly they're, like, in a real conflict. Yeah. And it works on that level. Um, it works on a almost Shakespearean level as well. You could maybe comment on that. In the sense that it was like learned. Well, all right. I, 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 I may be totally wrong. And, you know, the one person listening to this who maybe has Shakespeare knowledge can 
you know, angrily correct me. But the Bard Brawl right now, we're actually reading through As You Like It, which is one of my favorite plays. Uh-huh. And it's really one of those plays where Shakespeare makes fun. Like, the, the fashion in Shakespeare's day for courtly poetry was to write this pastoral stuff about shepherds sitting around quietly in the fields, living these idyllic lives of contemplation and quiet, right? And the whole premise of the story is these nobles wind up in a forest, but it's not really a real, it's like a make, it's like a, a, a Robin Hood, like like Sherwood kind of, it's basically a garden with trees, right? Like it's, and, and he just, he's poking fun at the, during the whole play, while simultaneously kind of respecting that art form of like the conventions of it. He's kind of poking holes as to how like, you know, most people writing pastoral poetry have no idea what it actually means to raise sheep, what kind of dirty, difficult labor it can be, right? And so he has shepherds come on stage going like, why are you talking to me funny like this? They're like, do you have an idea? My job is to try to get the ewes and the rams to, you know, to bang. And then I have to like shear them. And then I have to like help them give birth. And like, it's dirty work. I don't sit around doing nothing all day. Right. Like, um, and, um, so yeah, I guess you can make a comparison to something like that. If you want to go Shakespearean in it. Yeah, because it was like rough and tumble. This is basically the period where you could make an argument for America being at its dumbest and most brutal. Right? Where the average person was not literate at all. But at the same time, it refuses, it like, it is willfully anachronistic, but in the most hilarious way, right? Because only these three characters are really part of this like modern world where there's like the cinema and the Hollywood system, whatever. But like almost immediately they go to a place where like that that doesn't even exist as a concept. What's the most, what's the most important What's the most important feature of Santa Poco? Uh, the little village where they go? Yeah. Um, it's lack of technology? I don't know. They don't have movies. They don't have movies in that abundance. They write to the Amigos because the woman watches a film, a silent film, featuring the three amigos and she can't tell the difference between reality and fiction either Uh so as much as she's clearly smarter than those three idiots she nevertheless writes a telegram to three morons who are actors to come (laughs) save her town (laughs) from from el guapo and and so they show up thinking it's a movie but she confuses a movie for real life right so like both of them are like living in their own little kind of like like they they don't their realities don't meet until like the very end when they realize oh shit boys uh, this is really going down Those guys are gonna and kill the girl us. you know and like the people in the village finally realize like oh shit like you hired some actors to come here like we're all fucking doomed right <laughs> and then the twist in it is they actually use kind of like actorly tricks and like disguises and makeup. And references, like you said, to films that you know they presumably made before as the Amigos to kind of like outsmart El Guapo and end up, you know, winning. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And then it goes this like extra, like I believe that there is a genre of film. We can't even call it a genre, but there's just like there's this there's this shelf to put it in very archaic terms, you know, video store terms. Yeah. Um, of films that are timeless. But not just timeless, but they belong in a category of their own. Like no well, they're, films they're like timeless, it. but incredibly of their time. Like that's kind of like. But like no films like that can ever be. Like those stars will never align again, right? Like um, 
uh, Requiem for a Dream. Oh yeah, watch it once and then never watch it again. Yeah, but there's literally like, if you career, if you put that film on the shelf and made any pretense of creating categories, what other movie would you put up there next to it and and make any pretense of a pretense of it being of the same category? Like it just defies, right? Groundhog Day, Throw Mama from the Train, right? It's an awesome movie. It's an amazing movie. Um, Three Amigos. By default, they got sort of shuffled off as like movies that belong in the comedy section because there were laughs in it, but they really didn't belong there. Well, they were they were certainly smarter than a kind of um, forgettable throwaway like boy meets girl kind of romantic you know, rom com kind of crap. right or like buddy cop movie. Yeah, I mean they they were they were kind of self aware, right? And they they would. They would laugh. They would. You'd have your cheap laughs, but you would have sort of self, like self-aware, self-deprecating laughs, like yeah. poking fun at their own kind of. There's just this whole range of movies, and because of my age, most of them that I know are from the '80s. That were just these oddities that may or may not have worked, but did these really interesting things that I have, like literally, you could not recreate if you wanted to. Like a movie that comes to mind. Dragnet. Do you remember this film? <laughs> I don't think I've seen so it. So Dragnet originally is from the black and white era, right? It was a serial like like serial like the detectives or the LAPD investigate crimes, right? And then in the eighties, for reasons unknown, they took the license and they made this standalone film starring no less than Tom Hanks and fucking uh, what's his nuts? Um, not Belushi, but uh, dude from the Ghostbusters. Ray. Dan Aykroyd? Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd and Tom Hanks, a young Tom Hanks, star in this like version of it. And it's this it's super bizarre story of like, uh, Tom Hanks' character is kind of this like young hotshot that's really like sexually liberated and kind of... That um, seems like a weird premise for a... Anyways. Yeah, like he's kind of like a little bit of a lech, All right. and then and then and, oh, I see. And uh, Dan Aykroyd is kind of like the stickler for the rules, kind of a tight ass. And then they get the, the whole plot revolves around like a like a satanic cult. Okay. With like goat mask trying to sacrifice like a, a like a hot girl, and then they like both kind of team up to save her. The whole thing is a shit show. <laughs> but when you watch the movie, you immediately get the impression that there will never be a film like this again. There's just this odd combination of, of flavors that just will, you will never see again. And it doesn't quite belong in any category, as it were. Um, Groundhog Day, another good example of this. A comedy, you know, at the surface of it. But this is a movie that is now regularly debated in like philosophy classes because of its, its simple kind of preoccupation with this very kind of almost science fiction-y kind of idea of being uh, trapped in the same day over and over again has created all of these kind of uh, contemplations of the human condition. And I feel like definitely uh, uh, Three Amigos belongs in there. 
because on the surface it's a funny movie it's a yuck yuck kind of film it's got a bunch of pee pee caca jokes in it mm -hmm. but then like I said I think I think sort of actually like you said um, just when you're finished kind of going like okay this is like a slightly above average intelligence comedy you have El Guapo the villain and Jefe <laughs> how many times have we quoted that speech? many would <laughs> you plethora? say a plethora? A plethora. Like, that conversation to me stands still as some sort of, like, it's like this mind-blowing anomaly. No yeah. conversation has ever taken place between a, a, a bad guy and his henchman ever. And I just don't know what to make of it. Well, certainly not one where you have El Guapo, who's like, you know, I know big fancy words like plethora, but then you have, like, Hefe answers like he's a shrink, right? Like he's totally <laughs> made him, and he's like, "Could it be that once again, you know, you're taking out your, you know, you're, you're redirecting your anger against me, right? Right? Like he's, he's basically like, you know, yeah, he, he's got, he's like dumber than the chief, but he's got more like emotional. He got a certain amount of wisdom that like, yeah, yeah. he's like weirdly emotionally intelligent, <laughs> which is why he's still alive." <laughs> I, I submit to you, has there ever been a movie where the evil, the bad guy had a henchman that kind of cared about his, like accommodated his psychological drawbacks? Me the boys, we got together, we got you a little something. And hey, he lies Friday. about his age. Oh, yeah. Him? And he's like, today, El Guapo is 33 years old. And he just looks at him and he's like, oh, shit, I better not say that he's 40. He's 33 years old. And he's, he's this whole, like... Oh, the dynamic between the two is, is great. It's almost better than the film, right? Well, I mean, it's it's part of the, like, those those moments, those interactions are, uh, where, like, you have those funny moments where the amigos are like, look up here, look up here, right? And you're like, okay, that's kind of the nyak-nyak stuff. But then, yeah, you have, you know, the interactions with Hepe. And even just the little thing like the, um, uh, you know, with the, the German, he's like, oh, yeah, oh Ned Niederlander, like, I loved you. And he's like, but then I learned about trick photography and he's like no 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 like I'm, I really am that fast so in the middle of film where you've established a protagonist you've established the antagonist mm -hmm. and you introduce this side character the German the German you call him the German <laughs> he's a weapons dealer and ostensibly he's just there to like provide like a sort of like weird like setup so that you can like bring this bitch home and there's this moment where he approaches one of the amigos and like makes a super personal confession yeah. to him about how he was his hero and now he thinks that he's a fraud because he found out that in the movies they can do trick photography yeah and the assumption is because they can that they do right as opposed to and he's like I trained for, for years to be as fast as you right right and like <laughs> that whole, that whole thing is just I mean today I think that movie contained like 20 plots mm -hmm. that would be exploited today.